We're now on the fourth Sunday of the Advent season for the year 2023. We've been looking at several key psalms in the Psaltery regarding the Messiah's coming. So today we're going to look at Psalm 89. 89. As we will read this psalm, if you haven't read it lately, you will see that it's quite magnificent, quite lovely regarding Yahweh and his promises to David. And it opens up our understanding of the covenant that he made with King David to place one of David's descendants on the throne of the everlasting kingdom of God. So one of David's descendants would be the king of the kingdom of God, a kingdom that would have no end. And all of this began with the promise made to David through Nathan the prophet. Mm. Now we read about that earlier, 2 Samuel 7. I just want to read you two verses there from that passage. These are the words that Nathan spoke to King David. He said, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Now notice that David stresses, or rather Nathan stresses the word forever. A kingdom forever, a throne forever. This is a promise to David to seat one of his descendants on the everlasting throne of the kingdom of God. It was to be something not temporary, but something permanent. Now Psalm 89, at least the first three-fourths of it, it's a rather long Psalm 52 verses, but through verse 37 is a restatement several times of this covenant that Yahweh made with David and it's based on the fidelity, the faithfulness, the integrity of the character of Yahweh himself. But when we get to the last fourth of the psalm, beginning of verse 38, it's something of a shock, a surprise, for we see suddenly we're confronted with, with what seems to be Yahweh changing his mind about this covenant. So... David and the covenant are recipients not of the kindness of God, but of the indignation, the anger, the wrath of Yahweh upon him. So what is going on here? What happened to the gracious covenant that he established with David? This is a great question that we're going to try and find an answer to as we study this psalm together. I believe there is an answer. And I hope to build your understanding of this psalm today. It's really a very valuable psalm for our understanding of the workings of God. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, your scriptures speak the truth that comes from your throne. But we need your help today to understand this psalm. We want to grow in the knowledge of you and your ways. You alone are God. You created the heavens and the earth and sent your Son to save us 
from our sins. So by the ministry of your Holy Spirit, teach us your word today. Lord, we need heavenly food from your throne. So feed us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This psalm is going to be divided into four sections as I see it. Here's the four parts. First part, Yahweh's integrity is unfailingly dependable. That's verses 1 through 18. The second section, verses 19 through 37, Yahweh's covenant with David was backed up by Yahweh's unfailing integrity. And the third section, verses 38 through 51, Yahweh is questioned about his seeming rejection of his covenant with David. And the last section, which is just one verse, Yahweh is to be blessed forever. Well, let me read the first section to us. So I'm going to go through here four sections and talk about each section a little bit. So, verse 1. I will sing of the steadfast love of Yahweh forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I've made a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Yahweh, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to Yahweh? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? Oh, he's a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. O Yahweh, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Yahweh, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. Now, Rahab is a reference to Egypt. Okay? You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabar and Hermon, two great mountains, joyously praise your name. You have a mighty arm, strong is your hand, high your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, that is the worship festival shout, who walk, O Yahweh, in the light of your face, who exult in your name all the day, and in your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor, our horn is exalted. Our shield belongs to Yahweh, our King, to the Holy One of Israel. Well, there are certain key words in this psalm that I want to point out. First of all, it's very useful when we're trying to discern the teaching of a passage of Scripture to note the key words. Words that are repeated or emphasized. In the 52 verses of this psalm, 
the word Yahweh is repeated 11 times. This is about once every five verses, which I think is fairly normal for many psalms. Yahweh is often mentioned uh, in the psalms. Uh, So the frequent use of Yahweh's name, the personal covenant name of the true one living God, tells us something here. What does it tell us? It tells us that he's the main character of this psalm. This psalm is about Yahweh. About his nature, what he's like, his attributes, how he relates to humanity, and especially to David and the promised anointed one, the king of the kingdom of God that Nathan the prophet spoke of. Another important word that uh, is used in this psalm is the word forever. Forever. Mm. It's used nine times. And it's used three out of the first four verses. Three times out of the first four verses. And so it sets the stage here to describe the nature of God's relationship with his people and his promises to them. It's forever. God doesn't usually do things temporarily or haphazardly, but he does things to last, in, to last permanently like when he saves a sinner. He works with specific intention. God knows what he's doing. He carries out his will. Now, there are other important words in this psalm that are used repeatedly, such as steadfast love, faithfulness, righteousness, words which describe Yahweh's nature. And there are words describing this great promise that God made to David. It's called covenant. What is a covenant? It's a stated purpose of God to carry out his will among his people in a specific way. In this case, his covenant with David was a statement of God's purpose to place one of David's descendants everlastingly upon the throne of the kingdom of God. That's the covenant promise made to David through Nathan. Another very important word in this psalm is the word anointed. Now, it's only used three times. But it's a very important word. Verse 20 says, I have found David, my servant, with my holy oil, I have anointed him. And verse 38, But now you have cast off and rejected, you are full of wrath against your anointed. And verse 51, With which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Now the word anoint or anointed is very important in the Old Testament. Whenever a prophet, a priest, or a king was being initiated into the office of holy service, he was anointed with oil. It was poured out on his head. One of the Psalms talk about the oil running down on Aaron's beard. It wasn't just a little dab like we do sometimes. A horn of oil. It was a like a physical picture of the Spirit of God coming on that man to equip him for service in that office. You remember when the prophet Samuel was directed by God to go to Jesse and anoint one of his sons as the new king of Israel because Saul had been rejected because of his sin. 
So it turned out that the very youngest one, David, was the one that God chose to be the king. He was the shepherd boy. We read in 1 Samuel 3, 13, 16, Then Samuel took the horn of oil, a cow horn full of oil, and he anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Oh, blessed anointing. By the Spirit of the living God. David had experienced that. It's what equipped him for his service to Yahweh and to Yahweh's people. The Holy Spirit does the same thing today. He rushes upon each believer and equips him or her for service in his kingdom. We need the rushing of the Spirit today. In fact, Paul says it in Ephesians 5.18, Be filled with the Spirit. Let the Spirit rush upon you. Don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. He's only going to do us good, okay? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Well, the rushing of the Spirit was good enough for David, and it's good enough for us, if I may put it that way. Well, let's consider now the first of these four sections of this psalm. Verses 1 through 18. Yahweh's integrity is unfailingly dependable. Now I'm using the word integrity here because I wanted to state this in a fresh way to describe God's character. We speak of humans and we sometimes say that a certain man has integrity. We mean that he operates his life according to moral principles of a high standard. He does not succumb to the evil behavior and practices that many people engage in, but he's an honest and upstanding man. He treats others with fairness, with justice, with compassion. Whenever he speaks, he speaks the truth. He does not lie or deceive. He's a man of integrity. These are the kind of people we would want to be our mayors, our, our governors, our presidents, our neighbors, our friends. What does it mean to say that Yahweh has integrity? Well, it means many things. It means his love is steadfast. It's not wishy-washy like human love sometimes is. <clears throat> Yahweh's steadfast love is one of the fundamental foundation stones of his character and his relationship to his people. There are many things in life which are uncertain. But Yahweh's rock-solid faithfulness to his people and loving them is more certain than the rising of the sun every morning. His love lasts forever. As long as God lives, he will never die. So long will his love abide with his people. When God entered into his relationship with you and saved you, it was a permanent marriage, right? A permanent union. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. He's going to be with us forever. Amen. Well, his faithfulness extends to all generations, the text says, to the end of human history and beyond. His power is unlimited, 
There's nothing that God cannot do by the word of his power. The only thing he cannot do is sin or tempt people to sin or deceive or be untruthful. The text says he calms the raging seas. This is God's work. He controls the weather. That's why when we saw Jesus calm the Sea of Galilee by saying, peace be still, this was a revelation of the divinity, the divine power and character that was within the incarnate Lord. The text says he he smashed to pieces Rahab. That's, as I mentioned, a term for Egypt. Reference to his destruction of Pharaoh and his army by drowning them in the Red Sea. He created the heavens and the earth. All we see around us and as far out into outer, outer space that the telescopes can see, that is all made by the hand, the command of God. He created the mighty mountains. Two mountains are mentioned there. Uh, Tabor and Hermon and that part of the world. I love the Texas Hill Country. He created all those hills down there west of Austin and San Antonio, the Rocky Mountains in Colorado, and the Himalayas in Nepal. His throne is founded upon righteousness and justice, not like human thrones. Human thrones are often gained by bribery and deception and murder. But God's throne is pure and holy without any taint of evil. The text says in verse 15, those who know him exalt in him. They exalt in his name, in his righteousness, in his strength, and in his protection. This is why King David loved Yahweh so much. We read in Psalm 63, verse 1, O God, writes David, you're my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh fades for you. As in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. Beholding your power and glory. Like Isaiah in the temple. Beheld Yahweh lifted up. David somehow beheld the glory of the Lord in the temple. And he says, because your steadfast love is better than life. The love of Yahweh was better to him than life itself. He said, I will... My lips will praise you. So we see here in this first section that Yahweh's integrity is unfailingly dependable. This is what was backing up the covenant that he made with David to establish a descendant upon David's throne. So that's the second point. Yahweh's covenant with David was backed up by his unfailing integrity. The text says in verse 19, Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. Who's he talking about? Verse 20, I have found David, my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him, so that my hand will be established with him My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. 
The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. Horn is a symbol of strength in the Old Testament. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. This is David crying out to Yahweh. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. That is a special position. The firstborn in the family had honor above all others. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever, and his throne as the days of the heavens. There he is. He's reiterating that covenant. <clears throat> if his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if I if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with a rod and their iniquity with stripes. But, but I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all I have sworn by my holiness. Now, God can't swear by anything higher than his holiness. I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the sky. Now what's he talking about there? He's talking about a descendant from David who would sit on the throne forever. He's the one whom we are celebrating this Christmas. He appeared in human history 2,000 years ago. Jesus born of the Virgin Mary. So, what we see here is that Yahweh chose David, anointed him as king. He gave him decisive victories over his enemies. And he established a personal loving relationship with David, a tender relationship. He gave, he gave David the honors of the firstborn in the family. And he promised him that his offspring would rule in a kingly way forever over the kingdom of God. But if his descendants were disobedient, they would be punished. But the failure of David's descendants would not cancel the covenant that Yahweh made with David to have a descendant on his throne forever. And that's why we have the Lord Jesus Christ that we're worshiping today. He's the promised fulfillment of that covenant made to David. Well, so what are we seeing in this section? That Yahweh's covenant with David was backed up by Yahweh's own unfailing integrity. And then our third section, verses 38-51, is rather shocking. According to what we've just been reading about, God's faithfulness is loving kindness. <clears throat> because here we see that Yahweh is 
questioned about his seeming rejection of his covenant with David. It's perplexing. It's confusing. What's going on here? Yahweh, you just promised that you would uphold the covenant with David, that you would bless his anointed, but now you're saying you're rejecting the anointed, the promised one. So let's see if we can uh, understand what's going on here. So that, let's read the text. Verse 38, But now you have cast off and rejected. Look at these verbs that are being used here. They're, they're striking. You're full of wrath against your anointed. There's the word anointed. God's wrath is against his anointed. You've renounced the covenant with your servant. You've defiled his crown in the dust. I want you to notice that all of these verses, verses 38 through 45, begin with the word you. It's talking to Yahweh. Yahweh, you are the one doing this. It's not some angel doing this. It's not some devil doing this. You, O Yahweh, are doing this. What is going on here? Verse 39 again. You've renounced the covenant with your servant. But you promised to keep that covenant. What do you mean? You're renouncing it. You've defiled his crown in the dust. You've breached all his walls. You've laid his strongholds in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He's become the scorn of his neighbors. You've exalted the right hand of his foes. You, Yahweh, have made all his enemies rejoice. You've also turned back the edge of his sword. You've not made him stand in battle. You've made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You've cut short the days of his youth. You've covered him with shame. tables have been turned. It's a total reversal. So what's going on? Here we see a prayer. How long, O Yahweh, how long will this go on? Will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is for what vanity you've created all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can, who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol, the realm of the dead? Lord, where's your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Yahweh, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Not just anybody, but the one anointed by God. So, what we see in this section is that Yahweh is questioned by the psalmist here. What is going on? What is this seeming rejection of the covenant with David? Well, <clears throat> Yahweh is the one who's doing this. That's without a doubt. But who is the anointed? 
being talked about here. Well, I don't think he'll be King David because King David didn't suffer like this. God, in fact, prospered his kingdom. Um, you know, he was prosperous and victorious and he had a very successful kingdom. He sinned, of course, but as a king and ruler, he had a very prosperous kingdom. That's why the Jews were hoping that the Messiah would restore the kingdom of David so there would be uh, political and military power. Well, it could be a reference here to the Israeli nation after the Babylonian captivity in 586 B.C. or so. For example, some point to King Jehoiachin, who at age 18, after ruling for only three months on the throne of Israel, was carried into captivity in Babylon and wore prison garments for the next 37 years. He could relate to this. <laughs> it could also be a reference to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. The nation was wiped out totally by the Roman armies under uh, Titus. Well, these are possibilities. Or it could have its ultimate fulfillment in the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ for our sins. When he faced the looming march to the cross of Calvary and he hung on the cross, he cried out, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If we look at Psalm 22, from which Jesus is quoting, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? These are evidently words of Jesus from the cross, what he was feeling, what he was suffering, as the sins of his people were heaped upon his shoulders, and God turned his face away from him because he cannot look on sin. The psalm goes on, 22. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest, yet you are holy enthroned upon the praises of Israel, but I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. That's true, right? When he hung on the cross, people would walk by and mock him, make fun of him. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. So, Yahweh's hand of blessing, it seems, had been withdrawn from the anointed son and every calamity imaginable had befallen him. The covenant was seemingly renounced. The wall of protection was thrown down. Thrown into the dust. Life was being cut short. Death was approaching. Humanity had no power to defeat it. So the covenant with David to have a kingly descendant 
forever seems like it's being thrown away on the ash heap, the trash heap of broken promises. The curses are falling on the very Son of God Himself for our benefit. What we deserve, He took it. So I believe that the ultimate and the primary fulfillment of the Anointed One in Psalm 89 is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Now, the last section is only one verse. It says, Yahweh is to be blessed forever. So, look at this. Here's, imagine the Son of God. He knows the covenant with David backwards and forwards. He's being separated from his father because of our sins. And yet, what does he do? He says, Yahweh be blessed forever. Well, how can a man in such suffering and seeming rejection by Yahweh still exhort us to worship and bless Yahweh. It was because of his belief and confidence that the nature and integrity of Yahweh had not changed in spite of his circumstances, in spite of his suffering, his distressing situation. He knows that his loving God has not changed. His nature is still as dependable as ever. His steadfast love and his faithfulness has not lessened in the least. His justice and righteousness are just as pristine, reliable, and unfailing as ever. He knows that the covenant established with David will be fulfilled in spite of his own present suffering and separation from his heavenly Father. Listen to the words again of Christ on the cross taken from Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, to put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he's suffering on the cross, yet he shall see his offspring. He sees you and me. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Hebrews says, he despised not the shame of the cross. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteousness, and he shall bear their iniquities. It was Christ's suffering and being deserted by his Father because of our sins is the ground, the foundation for our belief and confidence that we will never be separated. We will never be deserted by God. Well, the anointed one the Messiah in Hebrew is translated Christos in Greek, anointed one. In English, it's Christ. 
how often does the New Testament speak of the anointed one? 534 times in the New Testament. The word Christ is used 534 times. You see the message there? The anointed one, Jesus Christ our Lord, suffered for us, rose from the dead, ascended, and is ruling and reigning on the throne of God. The covenant made with David has been fulfilled because Christ went through the suffering in our behalf in obedience to the will of God. Now, how can we apply some of this to our own lives? Ligon Duncan says this in his sermon on this topic, this psalm. This psalm is reminding us that we are not exempt from that kind of suffering and perplexity in our own lives. But the question is, will you have hope when the adversity and the perplexity and the adversity comes? The psalmist is showing you how. You go back to God's word and you believe it. Even when you don't understand it. Even when your situation around you looks like God's promises couldn't be true. And you just sing the word back to God. You sing the word back to God. This psalm begins with an exhortation to sing unto the Lord. So, i got to read it. Verse 1. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. So what do we do in the midst of these distressing circumstances? We sing the word of God. You believe the word back to God until he opens the way. We are not exempt from suffering and perplexity and confusion. But we are equipped to suffer with hope because Jesus rose from the dead. Amen. Whatever our state, whatever our circumstances, whatever our situation, whatever's going on in the world, whatever's going on in our private lives, it's always time to praise God. It reminds you a little bit of Job, doesn't it? Job said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's always time to praise God. No darkness, no darkness in this world exempts us from needing to express praise to Him for His perfections. Well, there's a great message in this psalm. It's that God's steadfast love and faithfulness are dependable. His integrity never fails. When circumstances seem to the contrary, we just need to trust Him, trust His integrity, trust His loving kindness and faithfulness, and sing the Word of God to Him. Let's pray. We thank You, our Father, for this psalm. We thank you for the great promise, 
made to David that covenant promise that he would have a descendant that would sit upon the throne of the kingdom of God forever and that this has been fulfilled in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ who is the king right now sitting at the right hand of the Father ruling and reigning over all things and we shall see him when he returns on the clouds with great glory. We now live in his kingdom under his lordship and we are so grateful for that. We bless and thank you for all your mercies to us. In Jesus Christ our Lord's name we pray. Amen. Amen.